up, we've been talking a lot uh, uh, about this upcoming season. We said, listen, for every ending, there's always a beginning, right? For every ending, no matter what it is, there's always some type of beginning. And so we've entered into this beginning of 2011, and with it come all of the unknowns, and you have no idea what's going out in front of you. And so we, we said that with all of the unknowns, it's imperative, like Joshua said in chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, he said, listen, when the presence of God comes in front of you, get behind him and follow him, because you've never been this way before, And the point is saying, listen, you have no earthly idea. We have no idea where we're going. We have got to follow the presence of God because he knows where we're going and how to to get us to the place we need to be. And we said with Joshua, he had great trust and confidence in God. And we said, how do we have that same level of confidence and trust? Well, we need to know him. Those that you know and that you're in a relationship with, you As you know them, you have confidence in them and you trust them and therefore you can follow him. We said, we need to know the father. We need to know him. So we spent a couple of weeks talking about knowing God as a caring father by the way that he relates to us. We said he is all powerful with all authority. Therefore, he relates to us in that way. He knows where he's going. He knows what's going on. Right. We said that he is sensitive to us and that he recognizes our frailties and our in our insecurities. And so he comes in his insensitivity as a father would. Right. We said that he is 100 percent faithful all the time. He relates to us in faithfulness. Therefore, we can trust him. But then the following week, we said, but he's also a we can also know him as a caring father by the way that he fights for us, by the way, by the way he fights for us. We said that, listen, he comes, says he, and he said that he's in Isaiah 42, he says he stirs up his zeal like a mighty warrior as he fights for us. He said that he speaks to us so that we can be in the know that he is a God who is always moving. And then we said, we asked the question, why does he do this? Why does God do this? What have we done to earn this, right? What have we done that he would say, I've got to do this? We said it was one word. It's the word grace. Grace is simply God doing something, giving us something that we haven't earned, right? Showing us, giving us moving in power in our lives and bringing blessing in our life and bringing freedom. We go, why'd you do that? Is it because I'm so good looking? He says, no, it's just has nothing to do with that. It's just simply because of who I am. It's what I do. And so what we said was he can come with this, this great confidence in who God is because we don't have to earn it. In fact, we can't even earn it. We can't purchase it. He simply pours himself out as a caring father because it's who he is. It's what he does. And we can have confidence in that. And we said, and I even had a conversation yesterday with somebody. He said, how do I get that? And I said, you can't earn it. It's something that only can be awakened in you by God's grace. Something he pours out into your life you can, that you, don't have, you can't earn or purchase. He just pours it out. And then we said last week that, our only, our, say our only, our responsibility in this area of grace is simply to put ourselves in a posture, in a position to receive. We said God opposes the proud. I can do it on my own. I got it. I mean, I don't need you, right? We live our lives like that. We don't need God. We we live like that. Think oh, I can take care of myself. I can do this, right? And said no. God gives grace to the humble. We said that looks like though just as you entered into the world naked and vulnerable. That we live every day of our lives with that same level of vulnerability saying, God, I'm pretty awesome, but I am nothing compared to you. And I need you in every area of my life. 
posture of receiving. And we said, remember with my little Sarah who said she couldn't find her shoes? She was doing like this, and it says it's three feet behind her. We said the posture and position of grace is simply moving three feet behind us to where God's grace is already flowing, is already pouring himself out. We simply need to put ourselves in that posture and position in the context of cultivating an authentic relationship with God is saying every day I sit at his feet and say, I need you again today. And as we do that, what he promises is that he pours himself out into our lives. And we simply ask the question, do you believe it? And do you know him this way? Do you believe it? And do you know him this way? And what we say is, God, I don't know how to know you this way. And he says, grace. That's what he does. I don't know how to make that happen. Grace. So, now, as we ended last week, we talked about, um, in, in the end of Isaiah 42, we talked about that in the context of God's relationship with his children, that He's talking about all this great stuff, but then he ends 40, chapter 42 of Isaiah and basically talking about the spiritual deafness and blindness of his children. He said they've chosen to be deaf, they've chosen to be blind. And so what it looks like is this. If you just put it in terms that we use today, it'd be as if they were ignoring God. Okay, As if they were ignoring God, that, that God is speaking and they know it, and that God is moving on their behalf and they know it, but they're choosing to ignore him. You know, back when we had our two girls, Anna Catherine and Sarah, when they were newborns, do you remember that stage, for those of you who are parents, you remember this, from about six to ten weeks, or depending on how it was for your kids, they just don't sleep well at night or at all. And so you, you become a completely different person. You become irritable all the time, right, because you're not getting any sleep. Well, let me tell you what I learned. I'm going to pass this along to those who are about to have kids. I learned how to ignore well, right? I learned how to ignore well. We'd be sitting there, Anna Catherine or Sarah would start crying in the middle of the night, and I would learn that if I would ignore it long enough, right, that Randall being a good mom would ultimately end up, get up getting up and taking care of them. It was fantastic, right? And so I would sit there, and I would ignore her, pushing me, saying, Steve, are you awake? You know, and that was, the, that was the deal. I learned how to do the thought that I'm asleep breathing mechanism, right? <sighs> right? I learned it, right? Because there's a pro. I mean, literally, I mean, for in the context of those six weeks until there was real conviction from the Lord, man, I was so good at ignoring her and my kids. I mean, it was fantastic. I'd sit there. <sighs> she'd hit me. Like, <sighs> you know, it was great. I learned the ignoring thing. And so what God gets at the end of Isaiah 42, he said, this is what my children do. They live in the state that I know they hear me, and I know they can see me moving, but I, they are completely ignoring me. And he said in the end that we said last week, that's called spiritual deafness and blindness, which we said is an act of disobedience. And we said that with their disobedience, according to the end of chapter 42 of Isaiah, listen, with their disobedience, with their ignoring him, it led to repercussions. And their repercussions, they were literally taken captive and taken from their homeland and pulled away. You see, their disobedience and their sin, the repercussions, it had, this, their sin had a repercussion. And we ended last week saying that, hey, our, our sin of disobedience has this same level of repercussion. And so I know in our own lives, I don't know about you, but I've been, there have been seasons of life or moments where I've done a pretty good job of ignoring God. Where I know he's calling me, calling me in, in something 
in some direction or calling me out of something or some direction. And I know his voice and I sense him moving. But in the moment, I choose to ignore him as if he doesn't know that I'm actually awake. (laughs) He knows it. He knows all my stuff, but I just choose to ignore him anyway. And in that, what we begin to find is this. What does God do? What, how does God respond in the moment? How does God respond? If we talk about God being a God of grace, how does he respond to his children in the context of grace being poured out in our lives in these moments of our repercussions? What does God do in the context of our lives as it relates to grace? And this morning, we're going to dive into this. And just I'm literally going to go through Isaiah 42, 23 to 25, and all the way through to Isaiah 43 to verse 7. And we're going to basically go verse by verse by verse and kind of break it down. If you like this style of teaching, uh, good for you this morning. If you don't, sorry. Um, So here we go. We're going to just jump in. Isaiah 42, starting in verse 23. Now, I want you to really read between the lines in this. I, want you to, I don't want you just to read it and just to read it for the fun of it. I want you to read it and really kind of digest it as we go. It says, which of you will listen to this or pay close attention? So listen, I'm about to tell you something that's going to be really hard for you to hear, and some of you are not going to be able to receive this. So which of you will listen to this or pay close attention in time to come? Who handed Jacob over to become loot in Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? For they would not follow his ways. They did not obey his law. So he poured out on them his burning anger, the violence of war, and enveloped them in flames, yet they did not understand. It consumed them, but they did not take it to heart. Verse 1. But now, God is about to speak, and he wants everyone to listen. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, and he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you were precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west, and I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. All right, so let's just begin to break this down as it relates to God's grace and what it looks like being poured out. The first is this. God's grace allows for repercussions. God's grace allows for repercussions. We just read this, 23 and 24. Which of you will listen to this or pay close attention in time to come? Who handed Jacob over to become loot? In Israel to the plungers, was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? They would not follow his ways. They did not obey his law. The reality for us as human beings is this. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before we'll actually look up. Have you ever heard that before? Those saying sometimes if this person's ever going to turn, they're going to have to hit rock bottom before they, in their pride, right? They're going to have to hit rock bottom before they actually look up to turn and face back to God again. 
in the context of God's movement in our life, as he looks at us as his children, he knows this reality. And in his power and in his authority and his goodness, he will not prevent this happening because of his deep love for us and his desire for us to be made whole again. In our disobedience, God is patient. He is long-suffering with us. But in his wisdom, that's where you have to land on this revelation of God and his power and authority. In his wisdom, he knows there comes a point of no return in our life. That when we hit it, he said the only thing that can be done now is to turn them over to the sin that they're embracing so that they can hit rock bottom, because when they do that in their pride, they'll come to a moment saying, I can't do it anymore. And hopefully in that moment, they will turn and say, God, help us. We've heard this story before in the New Testament from the prodigal son. We always celebrate, hey, the son's coming home. Fantastic. But listen, the father knew the son would not turn. So he said, listen, I will give you over to the devices of your sin, the things that you're doing. I know what you're going to do with everything I'm about to give you. You're going to go wasted on a life of sin. And I know that you're going to hit rock bottom. And guess what God did not, the father didn't do. The father didn't swoop in when he got to the, to the place of the farm where he's feeding the pigs and eating the stuff. He didn't swoop in and save him. No, he knew that he had to have a change of heart if he was going to return back. So he allowed him to hit rock bottom in the moment of his pride and his sin because of the repercussions of his disobedience. He allowed him by his grace and God's grace and God's love to hit that point. Have you ever heard of Mark Rutland? Ever heard him? Okay, he was a he was a, a pastor here at uh, excuse me at Mount Perrin for several years, and went down to Florida and did some stuff. And you know, I was listening to his speak one time. He has a he has had a great impact on our family. My dad listened to him for like literally every day for thirty years. Right, fantastic. Just a great great speaker and loves Jesus. And, and so one day he was telling a story. I was listening to him over lunch from twelve to twelve thirty. And and he said that telling the story kind of along these lines, he said, you know, I, I got done speaking one uh, one morning. Uh, this uh, mom came up to me and said, Pastor Rutland, I just need you to pray for me and pray for my son. And he goes, what what's going on? He said, and she prefaced, my son is such a good boy. <laughs> but he's met this woman and she is evil, right? And she said, he, she's come along, and my son has left my home, moved in with her, and they're living in sin. And I don't know what to do about it. And he said, well, will you listen to what I'm about to tell you? And she said, yes, Pastor Rutland. And he said to her, you begin to pray that everything that could go wrong in their relationship would go wrong. Pray that in every conversation they dismiss one another. He said, I want you to even pray that their sex is really, really bad. I want, we want to pray that everything that could go wrong in their life would go wrong because let me tell you something. He's not going to leave what he's getting from her to come home to you. <laughs> the only way that's going to happen if there's an awakening moment of revelation that he hits rock bottom and he turns back. We see that happen a couple of times with Paul. Paul said, so-and-so was in sin, so I turned them over to Satan. 
in First Timothy and Corinthians, turns them over to Satan. And basically what he's saying was they had reached a point of no return, so we released them so that they would be able to, be able to hit rock bottom and in hopes that they would want to t- once again turn back to the way. By God's grace, whether we like it or not, he allows for repercussions in our life because of sin in our pride. God said he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, let me just qualify this because we're a family. I'm not making a theology now for all the suffering. And I'm not sitting here telling you, hey, if you're suffering and struggling in life, it's because of your sin, right? Some churches say that because they're just overly simplistic. All I'm simply saying is that there are those who get in lives of sin, of spiritual deafness and blindness and of disobedience, and they reach a point of no return, and God says, I have to turn you over to that. And you're going to hit rock bottom. So I'm not telling you that's why you're suffering today, but I'm saying that there are people like that every day in the midst of their sin that by God's grace, he turns them over to that in hopes, like the prodigal son, that in time they would turn. Second thing we find is this. Grace is birthed out of a father heart. God moving in our lives, even though we haven't earned it, is birthed out of a father heart. Isaiah chapter, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 43, Isaiah is speaking. He says, but now, and he says, this is what the Lord says, he who created, he who formed Israel, and he says, do not fear, I have redeemed you. And at the end, at the end of this, he goes on and says, you were mine. Okay. At the end of it, he says, you are mine. The only one who can come and say, I have created you and formed you is a father. The only one who has the right to say, I created you. At the very beginning, I was there, are the parents. And he's saying, therefore, I want you to recognize that I am coming right here in the moment. I Just declaring again, I formed you and I created you. I am your father. And what he says is, because I'm your father, you may be in the midst of a repercussion, but I have jumped in. I am redeeming you. This idea of redemption coming in and basically I'm saving someone from the error that they're in. And what he's saying is even in the midst of what's going on in your life, I am moving. I am moving. Why? Because you were mine. The whole point is, yes, he's saying I've turned you over to the repercussion, but even in that place, I'm still going to be with you because I'm your father. I have redeemed you. I'm moving in the context of all that I am to save you. Listen, I guarantee you, the, the, the father over here in the prodigal son story, he had people out there seeing what was going on with the son. That's why he knew what was going on. He was not clueless. He was praying and believing. Why do you think he was sitting on the front porch every day? When his son came, he saw him from a long distance and ran to him. He was actively moving and hoping that his son would come home. He is a father. Grace is birthed out of a father heart. So in the context, even of this repercussion, the father heart is still moving. Number two, we see is, or excuse me, number three, grace even when you can't see it. God's grace is being poured out even when you can't see it. This verse, too, it says he paints the picture uh, three different, a couple different ways. He says this. He paints three pictures. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, I will be with you. And when you walk through the fire, hey, I will be with you. Here's the thing you've got to understand about this. The picture here in verse 2, this is important. The picture of verse 2 of walking through, is he's not just talking about difficult times in life. He's actually naming your repercussion. 
See, the repercussion of Israel is they are taken into captivity. Being passing through the water, passing through the river, and passing through the fire is a picture of someone who's been taken captive, ripped out of their home, and they're literally being dragged through and forced through the water, through the river, and through the fire. He's not saying, hey, you're not going to go through. I'm going I'm to save you from having to go through that. No, he's, what he's saying is when you go through it, when you go through it, even when you can't see me, even when you're facing the repercussion, whether you know it or not, I am there. That's the message here. He's not saying, hey, you're never going to suffer in life. No, he says, hey, when repercussions happen, I'll make sure that I'm with you when you're being dragged through hell. That's what he's saying. Grace, even when you can't see it, grace is going to be poured out ultimately for their salvation. Grace is going to be poured out for their protection, even when they are unaware of it, even when they're going through a difficult time. And so when they're sitting there saying, golly, God, where are you? Where are you? Have you ever prayed that? Where are you? I'm just they're taking me. and I'm just I'm overwhelmed. And he's like, I'm with you even when you can't see me. That's the message of grace. Even when you can't see me, even when you're unaware of God moving, his grace is being poured out for you at all times. Number four, grace is eternal. Grace is eternal. Basically, God's grace is from beginning of time to the end of time, God moving on behalf of his children, even though they haven't earned it, moving on behalf of creation because they, even though they haven't earned it, it is who God is. It is who God is. We kind of begin to see this picture in verse 3 of Isaiah 43. He says, I am the Lord. I am the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. I am the Lord. I am the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. Listen, there is a lot in a person's name. There is a lot in a person's name. You know, back in the Middle Ages, people would have a last name that would describe who they were. It was like Bob Carpenter's over here and Jim Mason and Bob Miller and Steve the Butcher, right? Steve Butcher, all their na- last names, they were they defined who they were. I used to tell people all the time, like, hey, what's your name origin? Well, I don't really know, but we used to sell ham and bricks, right? Because my last name's Hambrick. And they said, really? I'm like, no, I'm just kidding, right? But there's this whole thing about your name describes you. Your name as a descriptor describes who you are. And what God has just done is he's just come and said, let me declare for you my name. I am. Do you remember that? I am that I am. What he's doing is he's he's, he's stepping back in time. He's saying from Exodus 3 where he says, I am, then in Isaiah, excuse me, in Exodus 6, he literally calls himself and says, I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. When they hear it, they go, oh my gosh. Or, oh my God, are you serious? God, are you serious? You're saying that you're the same God who was the God over here, and that just as they literally went through the water and went through the fire, and you were with them, and we tell those stories that you were with us today in the same way? He says, of course, because my name's never changed. It describes who I am for eternity. I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. Grace is eternal. No ending and no beginning. And what we live in today, he says to us, I am the Lord, the Holy One 
of this area of Georgia, I am your Savior. And I will walk through you and pour out grace, even though you don't know it and you don't, haven't earned it. In fact, you're in the exact opposite, because my grace is eternal. It's who he is, and it's what he does. Fifth thing, grace with tenderness. Grace with tenderness. In verse 4, God says about his children, he says that they are precious, they are honored in his eyes, and they are loved. Now, when I... When we read this, we usually read it with the same type of tone, and we probably get really passionate or not. But the reality is this. When I talk about my children and I start talking about them being precious, I change my voice. Oh, my, my children are precious, and they are honored in my eyes. And let me say something. I love them. They are precious. Oh, we just sit there and have that moment about how precious and honored they are. Listen, they're honored because my children are honored in my eyes. You know why? Because they carry my last name. You know what I mean by that? They are my children. They are my children. And what God says is, you're precious and honored because I've given you my name. You are mine. You belong to me. And the idea of grace is simply this. Let me tell you something. He has just talked about how they ignore him. All the time, 100%, they have done nothing that is worthy of them being called precious, honored, and loved. Honor usually is given to those who've done something worthy of respect. And all they've done is sat there and gone, and ignored him, sleeping in the moment, spiritual deafness and blindness. And he's saying, oh, but I've given you my name and speak over you with tenderness. You belong to me. And even in the midst of your repercussion, the midst of this brokenness of your life, in the midst of this sin, even though you can't see me, I still call you honored and precious. And I love you because you have my name, right? The seal for us, the seal of the Holy Spirit saying you are mine, you are mine is on us. And he's saying, I will speak about you with tenderness, grace with tenderness. Number six, grace instead of fear. Verse 5 and 7 can be summed up very simply, and this is the first few words. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be afraid, for I am with you, he says. And then he paints this picture. He says, if, I, if you got sent all the way over here to the west, and your children were sent all the way over here to the east, do not fear, for I am with you, and I will fight for you by my grace and draw you back. That's what he says. says. So do not fear, for I am with you. Listen, when the God of all of creation that you've had a revelation about, this awakening moment of who he is as a father who cares for you and who fights for you with great authority. And you just go, oh my goodness, you are awesome. And we sit there and then he comes to us and he says, do not fear. I just named myself, I am. And I'm telling you, you do not have to fear. This doesn't mean that things around us won't crumble. Doesn't mean even that we won't die. Doesn't mean that we won't have to go through hell. But what it means is in the moment of all of this, that God will fight for us. He will draw him to himself. And then as we're in, as fear is stirring in the moment because we feel all alone, he comes to us and just says, do not fear. 
for I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, in the mystery of God's presence, the mystery of God's presence is this. It can be enough to produce life in us, even when it feels like death has the upper hand. When you feel like fear can cripple, when you feel as if you are dying, as if you can't move, and God's grace speaks into you, what he's saying is even in the midst of you being dragged into captivity, I am with you, and because I am with you, you do not have to fear. That's the mystery. Even in the moment of most bleak situation of life, we can live in this place, uh, listen, we can live in this place of joy, we can live in a place of wholeness. We can live in a, pl- in a place of completeness because of his grace being poured out. And the reality is we have a choice. Either we embrace our experience that seemingly is opposed to that ideal, or we trust what God has said about himself. And let me tell you, our experience lies to us every day. That's why we had to cry out and say, grace, God, because I can't. We put ourselves saying, oh, posture, position, pour out grace. And all of a sudden he awakens us to this reality. Grace and God's grace, it's powerful in our lives, can be even if we don't know fully that he's moving. For God is a father. He's continually moving. He has redeemed us even in the midst of being taken into captivity even when we can't see it because it's who he is. He's our father. He has to be true to his name at all times. And the question is, then, Steve, what can I do to get to that place? We've been talking about the last three weeks. You'd have to put yourself in a posture and position of nakedness and vulnerability and say, God, I can't get there. Help me. Help me. And then you just simply do everything you can to remain vulnerable and naked before him. And say, God, pour out grace. Pour out understanding. Open my eyes. I can't do this in my own strength. And he will. He will. That's what he does. He pours out grace. Why? Because he's already pouring it out. It's who he is. And it's what he does. And he cannot not be true to his name. He has to be true to himself at all times. Let's pray.